Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Through the Tech Vine. So be quiet, pay attention, and get inspired. There is one truth that is not told enough. Technology is not magic, but it can be magical. Technology is human. It is part of who we are, our evolution, our future. Will it be a dystopian or utopian one? Well, that is up to us and nobody else. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Still here, blobbing. Still blah, here. Blah blah blah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we I are having. I just fun. stayed in the channel live the whole time. <laughs> oh, Wait, is like... this AI Sean though, or real Sean? Well, AI is the only one that can do that. Yes. Okay. You're so doing the. Today. You're doing the Truman Show, so people can just come here every time they want, and they can hear what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> Thank you. Very confident. <laughs> Unless you have a producer, a script, and you know a really good story, I'm going to pass on that. I'd rather have you for... Something tells me I didn't prep much for it. No. The AI, <laughs> the AI, is, AI is not helping much either. Well, well, well uh, I, I know one thing. I, I always look forward for this, and I, I have fun. And now, lately, I'm actually having even more fun because as much as I love you, you two, I, I love to have guests. <laughs> Because it gives a, a little a little new angle on the conversation, and uh, today, yes, it's true. We have another guest, so we're on a roll. And um, I'm going to pass it to Diana Drum again, roll, please, to introduce our guest because again, there is a connection here. Oh my gosh! Okay, so so Lindome is the executive director of WESIS, and WESIS is the Women in Cybersecurity organization, an international organization devoted to the recruitment and retaining of women in cybersecurity. And Lynn has just transformed the way that the organization works. She's tireless. She is creative. She has grown at community engagement and gets out and does so much public speaking on behalf of, of WESIS and just an amazing human being. So welcome, Lynn. We're just so happy to have you here on TechVine and also um, your leadership at WESIS. Uh, thank you, Diana. That was a very kind introduction. I greatly appreciate that. But WESIS makes it very easy to definitely be executive director. You know, it's the power of community and it's the mm -hmm. community that's so energizing and inspiring and so motivating to do more. I mean, there's so much more work to do. And it's my pleasure to be in this capacity and be able to have the shared experience with everyone. We are very excited to have you, and, and yeah. uh, we, we cherish the relationship that we have with you and other organizations as well. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to say we don't enjoy when we talk to, to others that do very, very good for the community, for diversity, for inclusion, and all of that. But uh, I got to agree with, uh, with, with Diana. I mean, uh, you, you guys have grown so much in the last few years. It's incredible. Yeah, it's been really great. You know, we, we we really started putting out a lot of these programs and they've taken off. I mean, WESIS has always had the conference and we started as a conference and that was really exciting. And then when we became a 501c3 in 2018, um, there's many other initiatives. But then we really, in 2020, we used the time of COVID to really just mm -hmm. embrace the moment and lean in and see what the community needs. And we just launched into these um different type of training programs. And it's been just these learning series where everyone's just putting more experience under their belt and adding more to their LinkedIn profiles, adding more to their resumes, being able to speak to these experiences and getting out there. And it's, like I said earlier, it's just very energizing. So it's helpful when you have that momentum of the community behind you to kind of um, project that growth and keep going at it strong. No, go ahead, Diana. I was just going to say, and and, and Lynn, um, you recently are expanding the mentorship program at WESIS. Is that right? Yes, yes, we did. Um, we So the mentoring program was launched in 2020, just as a piloted program. We had a WESIS member that reached out to me in January of 2020, like, hey, Lynn, I want to revisit your mentoring program. Um, let's develop a curriculum and let's really empower and inspire everyone and put it into this cohort setting and and see what that looks like. And so we brainstormed, we had a committee that formed and we put together this 12 month structured framework and the curriculum was all designed to upskill and up level women, no matter where they're at in their career, preparing them for their next level of advancement. So we kind of tossed it out there as a piloted program. We had over a thousand people <laughs> enroll in it. We were blown away. And they were always as members. I mean, it was just amazing. It was outstanding. But we manually ran it. It literally, like we did the matching. We matched the cohorts ourselves. And um, you know, I had I had a lot of help with that. I, I mean, definitely Morgan, um, our operations manager really took the lead and we had a lot of key volunteers about doing all that matching process. And so we did it and it was designed to kind of bridge that gap of what is it like, you know, to start developing those relationships in the mentor-mentee capacity and have these resources available to take away any awkwardness and to start the conversation. And it was just great, it was wonderful. So we uh, decided to do it for 2021 and we're really proud to announce that final numbers are in and pairing process has taken place on Monday and we have 171 mentors and 755 mentees in the program this year. It's really cool. And Lynn, are you managing that all on uh, yellow pad notebooks? <laughs> <laughs> Lessons learned. No, no, no. We, we After last year, we realized that this is definitely a program that's so needed by the community, but so not scalable. Like we just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do all that manual work. And it was just 
endless hours that we were putting into it. You know, if a mentor had a family situation and those mentees needed to go to another cohort, it was just like, it was just countless hours that we were devoting to it. So our operations manager was determined not to do that again. And we supported her and she um, went out and did a lot of research and we landed on the software, the together software. And, um, and we were fortunate that one of our strategic partners workday then funded WESIS org to be able to use the together software. And it really, um, it really put, took a lot of the pain points out. I mean, essentially all the pain points were disappeared by using, putting it all in the software and having the algorithm do its magic. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, for me, I mean, this is what ITSP Magazine is all about, right? It's a connection of technology, cybersecurity and society. And, and what you just described is putting technology to work to help a, a large group of individuals find mentors and mentees to work with each other. Uh, that's the society and all around helping us do better with cybersecurity, right? So uh, yeah. a great example of all that coming together for us. And you know what? A great example of how to use technology for the right matching instead of what kind of ad I'm going to see and <laughs> what kind of product that you're trying to sell me or or <laughs> even other things that are driven by by money. Right. The thing that we do here is, is, is driven by humanity. And as Sean said, this is, this is what we do. And... And those are the reasons that get us excited uh, to talk about technology. And, and yeah, through uh, the deck mine is, is all about that next level. It's not just mm -hmm. what's possible and, and what's potentially wrong with it, but how does it help? What's right. the value of, of these investments? Um, it doesn't have to be money. How's it helping us live, interact with each other, save the planet, all that good stuff? And we need the money. So it's going to translate in people <laughs> having the money to leave and people doing the job that they'd love to do so that the job is not just a, just a chore, but they're matched in the right way. So when, when Lean, when you were telling me about this, I'm envisioning, you know, it, it's a matchmaking that is used in so many different um, situation from matchmaking of couples to matchmaking of mm -hmm. of employing and in this case for mentorship and and something that it's going to hopefully help to do the, the right thing and choose the right path and hopefully without too much bias which it's hard but it's hard not to have it but uh, we're all working together on that right mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And we were really fortunate to be able to partner with Together Software that helped us be able to do this matching system. I mean, the, the key is to develop the deeper relationships in the mentor-mentee relationship and to have that professional development piece come out at, at the end of it. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're thrilled with where we're at with it so far. Very cool, very cool. And uh, I don't know, uh, Diana, before we start talking about the tech news and this Harley-Davidson stop driving around here, <laughs> well, I, I'm curious because you, we, we know your dogs and now <laughs> on the profile we see a little kitty cat that I, I think it has a good story for going to into Halloween. Yes, yeah, so this is Vladimir that you're seeing, and he is very graciously allowing for about, it lasted about 60 seconds, we put a little tiny uh, vampire cape uh, on him, for he's, he's looking like Vlad the Impaler for, um, 
for Halloween. Um, but he was actually adopted in October from the Northeast Animal Shelter in Salem, Massachusetts. And it just happened to be, we had very, very sadly lost uh, another cat, a beloved cat to, uh, to uh, lymphoma that had come up. It was, it was, you know, the first sign that we had that he was sick, he uh, fell over and he was dead at the, the vet. They put him in an oxygen tent. We brought him to the emergency room and he's dead very quickly. So we were very, very, very sad. It happened to be in October. So that's why we were at the animal shelter. We live near Salem. So that's why we were at that animal shelter in October. But we had never had so many questions about adopting a, a pet before. We've, we've, adopted many, many pets. It's, you know, we're used to the drill. And this guy was just really, really asking us a ton more questions than normal. Finally, I said, look, is there something different right now? Because, you know, like it's, we've adopted a lot of pets before we lost our, our last pet. And he said, well, no, it's not you guys. It's that it's October and we're in Salem and this is an all black cat. And <laughs> we said, oh, because apparently some people want Black cats in October in, in Salem for well, who knows what. Cat. That's the thing. I hope they keep it after October. It's not one of those things. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Maybe they thought yeah. that they would just get rid of. We do joke though at the end of October. We tell them, "Oh, well, you're not seasonally appropriate." But no, of course, it's a well, joke. We, he's ours year round. I, I hope it keeps the it keeps the cape the whole time because it looks <laughs> looks really cute with it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, seriously, like it was about. 30, 60 seconds that he kept that on. And then he was like, nope. <laughs> so cute. So cute. Lena, are you excited about Halloween? Because we are. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Of course. Yes. This morning, actually, I took, we have this seven foot mummy. Normally, I have it outside, but I forgot to put it out earlier. And so um, a week ago, I dragged it up from the basement and put it in my my, uh, my son's shower to scare him. But when he, <laughs> So, um, you know, it must have worked because when I came home from running some errands, I, um, I opened up the utility room door, like coming in from the garage to the utility room door. And there's this seven foot mummy, like right there staring at me in this dark <laughs> utility room. So it scared the bejesus out of me. And <laughs> we let that mummy sit there for a week. Be and I'm not kidding. I'd wake up to go work out in the morning. It's dark out. And when I come back, it's still dark out. I walk in the utility room every morning. I would be scared. I'm like, how is this thing still scaring me? And I'm <laughs> it out. Like, clearly, I know it's here when I'm walking in. But um, so this morning... After my, you know, my youngest is 17, so he's the only one at home right now. So after he went off to school, I thought, well, I'm gonna, it's time to move this mummy. So I put it in the pantry. So I'm waiting for him, but I'm not, I mean, this is ridiculous. So here I put it in the pantry and I go and grab a snack earlier and it scared the <laughs> I screamed, I'm home alone. I have this seven foot mummy just glaring down. I took a picture of it and I put it on Twitter. I mean, you can see this, but I'm like, I'm, this is ridiculous. Like, and so I'm almost afraid of what the repercussions are going to be from now. Like I'm taking it a little too far and it's going to go big by him and I'm scared. So but oh, I, guess I just went on your Twitter. This is pretty scary. <laughs> Pretty okay, he's not he's not that little inflatable mummy or anything that I see around here. This is serious. This is like just walk away from an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> Very His cool. Big glaring eyes on me. So yeah, 
it, it is. I, I, I'm looking at it now, and I, I agree. <laughs> that looks like it's in a movie or something. It's. I can't look at it. It's too scary. It's, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's going to remove the bandage. It's going to look like Eddie from Iron Maiden. I, I'm sure somebody <laughs> knows what I'm talking about here. But, um, yeah, that, that got my, my feeling. It got that scary. Yeah. Uh, It'd be scary. hard to adopt that one. Yeah, I got to move that mummy outside and just get rid of it. Like I have to get it on the front porch where it was meant to be and stop (laughs) thinking in again because I don't want it to come back around to me. And I know it is. And I, it will come back. It will come back. (laughs) I'm so scared. I can't watch scary movies. It's like, but I love scaring people. That's the crazy thing. Ah, okay. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. See, I'm not a big fan of scary yeah. movies. So my Halloween is usually on the light side. I, you know, the Nightmare Before Christmas and and other things. I did like, mostly lighting and uh, and pumpkin in the in the front yard. But uh, yeah, and we're gonna get more and more into this conversation. I think in the next two episodes as we get closer to uh, Halloween. But I would say let's get hopefully not too scared by the news that we picked this week. Diana, what you got? All right. Not scary at all. My spicy. Name. It looks like it's spicy. More it's It's got some spice in it, but no, really <laughs> in a, in a good way. So, um, so very interestingly, I did not realize this, but there are a lot of plants that don't like full sun and plants are sort of more used to growing in a little, not a, like a deep forest, but in sort of more a forest kind of like, and so even the agriculture plants that we think about, um, you know, the crops that we eat, uh, they they are used to not actually growing in full sun. They're used to having a little bit of cover, getting that diffuse light that bounces off of other other things. And they they feel like they can actually get stressed out and uncomfortable if they're in full sun. It feels it's not it's not great for them. Too many photons and, and they don't like it. So they actually prefer um, being in this more diffuse kind of environment. And a lot of plants will grow much bigger leaves when they're not in that full sun. So it's it's like psycho- physiologically and sort of psychologically, if you could say that about a plant, it's actually better for them not to be in full sun for most plants. They actually like a little bit of this diffuse light. And then the other thing that was really interesting about plants that I just learned is that um, they sweat and so that they actually give off some cooling uh, from their sweat to the environment around them so they can help lower the temperature of the places that they are and that they use water much more efficiently when they're in this more diffuse, a little bit of a canopy kind of a situation. So these plants that like to be a little bit more diffuse. I'm going to pause you, Diana, because it, it sounds like you're describing an engineer. They like dark, wet. <laughs> they, they preserve water by drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> and coffee. And coffee. I, so I had not that? thought of that. <laughs> um, but you, so you're right. Maybe there's a little bit. Engineers can be a little like plants. Uh, but so some people were looking at if you look at what's happening in the farming industry and the farming industry, some of the, the farmers are saying we can't afford to grow crops anymore. But what we can do is we can create these giant solar arrays with you know massive photovoltaics and create basically solar farms. So they've been some farmers are actually converting their fields to giant 
photovoltaic solar arrays and enter this new word, which is agrivoltaics, where the folks that understand plants and what plants like and what plants crave, now they don't crave Mountain Dew, but what, <laughs> what plants like and what what you can do with with uh, with photovoltaic solar arrays. And they've created this mashup called agrivoltaics where they're studying if it can be healthier and better for plants to grow underneath the solar panels. And so far, so one farmer has covered four acres with enough photovoltaics to capture electricity for four homes and is also growing carrots and kale and tomatoes and garlic and beets. And someone who's just devoted to this is research right now as an earth scientist at University of Arizona, Greg Baron Gafford. And he's got a, a grant from the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, and he's researching photovoltaics and or agrivoltaics. And his, he started out with, he decided to figure out what happens with salsa ingredients. So his first tests were with cilantro and peppers and tomatoes. And he found that they all grew better under the solar panels for things like the cilantro, right? Their leaves are getting bigger because they're less stressed and it's more that uh, forest-like environment. So their leaves are bigger and it, they used half as much water to grow the salsa veggies, the, the, the salsa veggies in underneath photovoltaics um, versus salsa veggies in full sun. So it's, it's good for the environment. It's good for water reclamation. It's good for the, the health of the plants because it's more natural for them. So all of this is just really, I thought it was very, very cool taking an existing tech, but applying new science and research to it to create agrivoltaics and they're going to continue the research to find out which crops are going to be the best suited for agrivoltaic growth in the future. Once again, we're learning from mother nature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking as you were going quickly, I mean, they all, when we are in, in kids in school and we, we study the photosynthesis and how plants, they get energy and, and 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 convert it in in nutrient from the sun. Um, I was wondering if there is a connection with with that, like maybe an amplified sun or more of a, a energy electric field that goes around it. Maybe part of that. I don't know. Sounds sounds cool. Well, so they they actually do help the photovoltaics because when they're sweating, that's giving off that temperature cooling. So it helps to make the the solar array more efficient. And then the bit of cover over the plant, so it's not that full sun, helps them. I, I guess plants prefer to do photosynthesis with a little bit of of shade and cover, and not which I, mm. you know, I kind of get. I mean, if you're thinking about being Too outside, much? they yeah. overload. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they overload. It stresses them out. Yeah. <laughs> Too much yeah. sun. Is this? I'm trying to picture this. Uh, say equipment. Is it a? It's not a panel. Is it a sheet? like cloth or something what is it so it's it's a it's a similar to what you've seen for photovoltaics but they space them in a way that gives enough diffuse light and that the plants get planted literally underneath so they're kind of creating this canopy mm. for the plants they it's still like get a, enough light to it's grow. like a greenhouse but sort of so imagine a field with of you know we've all seen those solar fields so imagine mm -hmm. a big solar field but with spacing done in such a way that underneath the solar panels you have corn and or in the case of this this one science experiment cilantro and peppers and tomatoes so you can make salsa talking about optimizing space 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that whole for the the farms that are trying to reclaim by going to solar, maybe they don't have to choose farming or solar. Maybe they can agrivoltaic it and do a bit of both. Very cool. And uh, you know, it yeah. make me think, and, and maybe I want, then Lynn can jump in on this if she has something to say or if she hasn't been taken by the mummy. Um, <laughs> no. you, the, the, there is a company that makes a solar system, I mean, solar panel that are inspired by sunflower. They're quite expensive, but I saw that what is really cool about it is that they in the morning, they come out from this cone and each single one of the panel kind of, you know, it's kind of like if you look at the satellite, the way that they origami their panels around. And then as the sun moves, they always follow the direction of the sun. So your, your solar absorption, it's always optimized at that 90 degrees angle. And then if it's stormy, if it rains or anything, and at night, it just folds like the flower, uh, you know, and and just go back into the cocoon so I, I thought that was very inspired by by nature as well very cool yes i i have seen those and they are they're they're really they're gorgeous how they open and close like so they're almost like pieces of art in addition to being really great yeah, solar, space solar dish, right? yeah. like yeah. one of these you used to capture uh the the sign the signals from uh, from space yeah yeah, yeah. lean what do you think? You're changing business? No, I'm just fascinated with it all. I, you know, I love learning about these new technologies and how they're solving these worldly problems. But yes, definitely relying on nature and, you know, observing that and, and building upon that is just so fascinating. So it's good to hear about it. And Marco, do you have a downside? You're usually the one that's look, you get skeptical. You see any downsides to this? Uh, no, no, I, 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 it's just two things that I love together and I am more and more, <laughs> you know, fascinated by it. We talked in the past how many of the solution today, biorobotics and, uh, and the way we, we, we study things in the, in the natural world that we weren't able to study before, right. With more yeah. technology to do that and then using, what the technology, let's say, that Mother Nature has built in many, many, you know, centuries <laughs> and a million of years of life and uh, and learn from it and then be able to replicate it. You know, the, the, the roots that will go under the, the soil and the way that gecko, we talked about that last time, a gecko can, can climb on the walls and then you can use that for doing robotics and then study the environment and so forth. So... No, not not negative, not negative at all. I'm just picturing this field, and because you said water rec reclamation, and I was like, okay, what? And I, now I'm picturing the, the water running off the end of the panel into a, a a drain ditch that all feeds back to some place that can maybe gets pumped back to refeed, rewater the plants or something. Or nice, yeah, I like that. Because another thing I was thinking, just the so. I, how does this change beyond just the plants viability of, of, or growing in a different way? Does it change how harvesting is done? Uh, does it change the need for pest control in a different way? Does it introduce pests to protect against pests? I don't know. Maybe it didn't say in the article. They get burned. The, the insects get burned by the solar panel. 
<laughs> so th that's a good point. I think that's why there's further research. People might, might just say, just plant a bunch of stuff under solar. But I, I think you make a good point about, um, you know, could it change you know, pests or something else in the, the ecosystem? But as far as the folks and the, the, the farmers in the field, they think it might actually be long-term benefit because as the um, the plants are helping to cool the air around them and to make the photovoltaics cooler, it could make it actually cooler in the field for the um, the farm workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it comes down to optimizing space too, like many many companies are trying, and I think there are some countries are doing that, that when they're rebuilding road, they they do it in a way that they can recharge an electric car as the car drives through it, or maybe do it as a solar panel so that that space become an energy source as well. And of course, re refitting buildings with solar panel all over and mirrors and glasses that can absorb the light yeah. and convert in energy. So uh, a lot of ideas. I'm sure there is brilliant people working on it already. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness that they're yeah very smart earth scientists who are, who are thinking in, in really creative ways and trying to and advance this kind of kind of work. For sure, for sure. Um, Sean, you get some some photovoltaic news too? <laughs> Spicy. I'm sticking, I'm sticking with the food. You the can, enabler. The, the question enabler. is, Marco, is spicy good food? Is spicy food good for you? I can only speak. Uh, apparently they, they say that, uh, like red pepper is really good for circulation and rheumatoid arthritis and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think so. Good for me. I know you eat it and you love it because I've been there <laughs> with you. So you yeah, stuff. I think it's good it's for good. you. It's good when you, when you douse it in, in sauce and salt and no, so the, the the news that I have, and it, it's not new news necessarily, but it's something I, I a little documentary I saw on uh, BBC, and it's basically a, a saliva swab DNA test that is connected to an app, of course, that then tells you what's good for you based on your DNA to eat or to avoid, and. Uh, at the service, it seems pretty cool, right? It, 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 it presumably you could tell if you're lactose intolerant or or allergic to wheat or uh, if you're extra sensitive to salt or fats or sugars or caffeines and things like that. And um, so it, it, at first blush, it was like, okay, this, this seems really fun. At least you know, <laughs> okay, based on how my body is made up, and how it, how it functions. These are the things that work good for me. You get a little green box. These are the things that are bad for me. You get a little red box. And presumably you can scan a label and it'll tell you which which products, which funny enough, they're, that means they're processed packaged products. But anyway, <laughs> uh, which things are better for you. So you could choose one cracker over another or one cookie over another. And uh, it it seemed cool. The one thing that was that also struck me was that they they were saying that salt is bad and sugar is bad and caffeine is bad. I'm like, do I really need an app to uh, 
that I'm, yeah, it's not good for my body. But anyway, this idea that the DNA might help shape the way that we eat and select the foods that we purchase and then consume. You know, that's really interesting Um, because I'm gluten free. I have been for many, many years, like over 12 years. Um, and it went, I had symptoms for probably about 12 years before that. Mm-hmm. And when I went gluten-free after three days, my symptoms like subsided. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I could have done 12 years ago. Like nobody mm-hmm. really knew much about it. And it wasn't really, you know, the popular thing that it is now. I guess I did a pre-popular thing um, where everyone just <laughs> Like, what's wrong with her not eating those? Trendsetter. Yeah, that's right. It was a trendsetter. Yeah, unfortunately, all my children are gluten tolerant as well. So they say it's a curse that I gave them, but whatever, we won't go there. Um, (laughs) But oftentimes, you know, I am very food sensitive to many things. um, And I'm very careful about cross-contamination and stuff. But I'll have reactions. And I'm like, I wonder what else, like there there has to be something else that I just can't seem to pinpoint because, you know, when, when I, I was diagnosed, it was the real old school, um, you know, food sensitivity diet where you eliminate everything and then you mm-hmm. one thing back in your diet and everything like that. But to have something like that, where it's like, if it's DNA or technology or an app, I mean, something to like ease the pain of not realizing, you know, what some foods I might not be able to eat. It's just, it seems really innovative. Um, but then again, you know, we all don't want to be told one more time that we can't have the salt or the sugar. <laughs> like, like everything is bad. Like I live off of chips and salsa. I bet you, um, you know, there's probably something in there that I'm sensitive or allergic to that I would just die without in my diet because I can't go a day without some chips and salsa. So. Also, just because you know, you could still, isn't there some Eddie Murphy? I think it's, I think it might be Dr. Doolittle where one of his patients keeps eating like shellfish, even though it gives her hives. <laughs> so I don't know. Why would she be at the, he's a vet. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I do, I, I, I love this. We actually tried a, a DNA about exercise and, you know, because it was supposed to help you understand which exercise would be best for your body. And, what was really interesting was it, it basically said in a, apparently my DNA indicated that I'm the kind of person that can adjust to really long uh, extended exercise. So endurance kind of exercise, which is true. I actually used to run about 50 miles a week regularly. And I started to put on weight as I was running at that level. And I wasn't eating a lot or anything. It was just because my body had actually adapted to Right. And I would tell people this and they're like, you're crazy. So it was actually kind of cool to see this DNA that, that's indicated that, yeah, I had the kind of DNA that would not respond well to long-term endurance exercise and would do much better with, with high intervals. So I love the idea of, of, yeah, let's apply it to food because as Lynn, as you were pointing out, you know, these DNA, uh, I'm sorry, these allergy tests, the elimination diets are just horrible and draconian, you know, you have to eat what rice for two weeks or something before you even start introducing things back in. And I don't think that the allergy, the the skin tests are quite as sensitive as enough. So I kind of love the idea of like, instead of having to go through a big elimination, just, I mean, what they do with our DNA after it is a whole other can of worms that Marco can go down, but <laughs> that it can indicate what we can eat and not. I think that's really cool. 
My my pot is starting to steam, and yes, it's, it's gonna sure. it's gonna whistle really really soon. You're a you're a sweating flower. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, how can you not love this when it comes to prevention? Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I I did one time those tests for the allergy, and I didn't even want to do it. I don't know why they did it. But I don't know, I guess I have some kind of rash, but I had it for a long time. It was just a skin rash. And so they, they did the whole process of putting the 3 million different elements in your skin in the back. Mm-hmm. And it's now, I, I don't trust that thing because I came out to be a little bit allergic to dogs. And I said to the guy, dude, I got four <laughs> dogs. So, and I'm fine. <laughs> and then tomatoes, which is another thing that I pretty much can't even eat without tomatoes. It's when I was a little kid and never had a consequence. So uh, I'm not sure I trust that one unless you're really, 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 really allergic to something. The, the, well, the dark side of this is is the same. Okay. It's what it comes when, uh, you know, uh, do yeah. we keep the privacy. What else? What else are they going to learn there? I mean, I know the power of DNA. I mean, mm-hmm. DNA yeah. with the you know the new vaccine and working on the the molecular structure, you can literally reverse disease if you just fix that broken link in the DNA. I mean, not not the the link, but the sequence that it's it's faulty. I mean, imagine that that you could change that and you can get rid of cancer, diabetes, and, and, and a lot of other things, not just allergy, but I think uh, it's inevitable. It's a good thing that comes with what, some uh, side consequences. Yeah, so but... there were two parts to this story. So there, one is mm-hmm. the, the, the check and then you know, and then the other part was the scanning of the products. Mm, yeah, that's kind of weird. That was that was a dark side from the uh, from the companies selling stuff <laughs> perspective. <laughs> right. If their, if their product is, is consistently on the salt, sugar, uh, carbohydrates list as bad, they're not going to really like that. So that's uh, a stretch. I mean, I can see like you know, for you, it's good to do this kind of exercise. You have this kind of allergy. This is probably the food that is better for you, maybe more protein, less carbs, and one thing and another. But to actually suggest you to by scanning the commercial product, yeah, that's kind of weird. Mm. And in this scenario, back to the to the privacy thing, the the swabs were done in the store. So you'd you'd give the DNA wait two minutes. <laughs> really? the app and your results go into the app and you can start scanning away so, uh hard pass that thank yeah. you yeah yeah, yeah. There's a- <laughs> are you gonna go to 7-eleven to just get like i don't know a bottle of water and they're gonna mm-hmm. scan you no let's do it dna test with the 7-eleven no yeah. problem there nothing nothing to worry about here distributed yeah. dna is our DNA going to be like our social security numbers where it's just hey it's everybody's going to know our dna it's public <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, social security number is so, and we still rely on it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, I mean the DNA. It's it, what is crazy talking about the DNA and 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 where we can go with that again. I mean, the, 
once you put the sequence of the DNA together, which is done not too long ago, I don't want to say how many years, but I think maybe 20 years ago or something like that, and you needed a computer that had to be super powerful mm-hmm. to do the you know the whole se- the, the the whole sequence um, of it, and now of course you can do it so much quicker, and and you can go into do personalized uh, cure that are you know, think about with cancer. I mean, if they give you this catch them all that it's probably not even going to cure the cancer that somebody else, because it needs to be more specific or same thing for other diseases. I had a news that I have three or four news I could bring, even if I put insert coins in my name. (laughs) But um, there is one related to this, which is how this woman in California got cured with um, depression by implanting very severe depression, implanting like some electrodes in their in our brain, like they, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about, you know, people that have Parkinson and and other diseases, and but this is so you have to map what happened. So for ten days, you map your brain because you need mm-hmm. to understand because depression may be caused by so many different. Um, part of your brain and feeling and emotions so you need to see what it really fires up and then with this electrode they release like this electric charge that you don't even realize they pretty much kill this um this 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 activity that causes depression and this woman literally went from five years of impossible to leave to pretty much go on there is a scale for depression that goes to one to 54, I believe. And she was like close to 36, 37 on it. Uh, so I may be saying the number wrong, but she wasn't very high. And in within two, three days that she did this, she was down on 10, which means you can live a regular life. So it's incredible, but it's not a cure for everyone. Everyone has to do it personalized. So the DNA is the same thing. I mean, they can give you what is best for you, but you got to give your brain scan mapping in this case or yeah you gotta agree that somebody gets your dna what are you gonna do well i'm from 7-eleven it's good (laughs) right not at 7-eleven but but it would be okay if it was wawa i think just not so (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, but I mean, I wonder if, if how our brains fire and what's happening in our brain, if that's something that's, I mean, there's also that think about how private that is and would people want to protect that data? Um, so either way, you've got something that, that they've got to study some part of you that's not visible to the, the, the regular human eye, some detail about you that you know, only with uh, this kind of a test could you find out. So maybe, you know, it doesn't matter if it's your DNA or or the way that your brain fires, it's still PII of a different sort. I I think, and I thought about this a lot in the past (laughs) and is that, I mean, we, we are all in talk about cybersecurity quite a bit, which is security, which is your, you know, the level of risk that kind of, things that you do and what is worth the risk and what it isn't. I think yeah. that when the when the risk of the privacy of your DNA it may be something in jeopardy, but with that, you may cure something that is incurable or makes your life horrible, 
then uh, like, you know what, I'm probably going to take that risk. Mm -hmm. But but to know yeah. what is better for me to eat, if it's this brand or this other, to go back to Sean, your news, uh, no, I will pass on that. <laughs> right? That's a little too much. I don't although, need that. Although if you had severe food sensitivities, like Lynn has, has yeah, no. celiac, then that's mm -hmm. that would be, and, and I had a really hard to figure out soy. Um, I don't react well to soy. And soy is in everything, everybody. It's in everything. It's in gum. It's in some toothpaste. Um, for a while, I was a vegetarian, not a vegan. And if the chickens ate soy pellets, which a lot of layer pellets are soy-based, then the eggs that the chicken lays will have soy in it. So if you're soy sensitive. So something like this DNA test yeah. would have been really welcome because um, – that was that was a pretty complex one to and like Lynn was, I mean celiac is, is one it's really hard to right to so out what, for a lot of people what I'm saying is you know and, and link and voice on this uh, if that's gonna really make your life improve yeah. your life of course mm -hmm. you know it's, it's like yeah, every medicine has a side effect but what is the side effect is it more or less than what a cure it, exactly it, yeah yeah. Well, and the, but in the case of the like, uh, you know, the electrodes and the depression. I mean, I mean, depression is like a debilitating disease for some folks, and to be yeah. able to have the technology and not have, you know, uh, we've all heard the stories about like the antidepressants and the different type of drugs that are used to treat depression. And to your point, Marco, it brings on other, other, you know, instances and other mm -hmm. side effects. And mm -hmm. you really have to weigh the risk versus benefit. But for this, you know, um, for some to be able to function and live their life without like that drug induced state and really have that freedom to be able to function like as their whole self, um, you know, they will have to take that risk versus benefit and see what's best for them. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, yeah. and say that if, if we have enough data from enough people, perhaps there are things we can learn about how we're living that introduce this depression and and maybe we can avoid it altogether so so people don't have to actually have their brain scanned to to figure out which parts are triggering and therefore have to treat it with whatever right. activity or drugs whatever is needed and be proactive yeah yeah <laughs> and, exactly and a catch yeah. it before cure the cure the problem before trying to yeah but i think in this case you're talking about a mental mental situation or really brain induced and this in particular mm. it's not, is a big breakthrough because you use it only at this point in in people that they, they can cure it, depression they can manage depression yeah. with medicines mm -hmm. uh, there is no other alternative when you're like that high that you can even decide if you're gonna eat one thing or another and you don't eat because of that um, mm. why is it the last resort what do you mean? You're saying it's it's for people that that aren't reacting to medication or other. Well, I guess, I guess right now it it requires. I mean, the cost. Yeah, the I think it's it's still into an, in in the, at the beginning of this. It, that's why it's in the news. Is the technology reviews from the MIT, and and how yeah it's it's there, but it's not something that is easy to do. But then again, it may be like, you know, th this uh, sequence in the DNA, maybe that this 
10 days that she had to go through to, to map her brain fire up when she was feeling in a way or in another, maybe just that you wear a helmet and in 10 minutes you, you know how to cure it. Sure. I, yeah. I think the future may easily be that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I look how far we've come. I mean, I, I worked with someone like many, many, many years ago and she was an older woman and she was sharing with me. I mean, she suffered from depression. She had the electric therapy, like where she got admitted into an institution and they shocked her like repetitively to rewire her brain to overcome you know, some of the challenges that she's going through and just hearing those stories is just, you know, archaic. Like I, barb like I, I was just like, this is what people, mm. some people have to go through. So, I mean, it's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, you have to do it safely. You know, I mean, I think, th I think there is still many things in nowadays that we're so advanced compared with 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, uh, I don't even want to look at the middle age, but I think we're going to look back even in 50 years from now and be like, wow, these guys were like prehistoric in the way they, <laughs> they cure things. And now, now look at what we can do. So I think every single one of these is a, is a step towards a safer. And, and of course, Sean, preventive is yeah. always the, the answer for, for all of this. Absolutely. Or we can might look back and be like, dang, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> and like lobotomies. Sticking uh what are, what's the name of those uh the the, the le le leeches, the one that suck your blood <laughs> from your skin? So they actually are still in use in some cases because they, they can are? be helpful. Yeah, there are some some medical. Um, yeah, it's surprising. Like leeches, they, they're not a cure all for everything. I mean, I think it used to. But be it like used anything. to be. Yeah, oh, it just headache here. Here's twenty leech for you. Yeah. In your medicine cabinet, you have leeches ready to go. So <laughs> I got something for that. Yeah. Theodoric of York. Um, yeah, slapping a leech on people, but <laughs> but I think that they still actually do use um, leeches in a couple of. They, they're surprising. They're surprising. Like when we sort of go back to the future and, and reassess some original cures, there was there was a component of utility there, uh, but then that maybe it wasn't the cure all that people thought. Or there's even like weird like the I don't, you guess or maybe this is too gross, but like the poop transfers which seems really like so odd and, and arguably potentially like it, do we really like sort of like, like low tech, but yeah. So we have, because of our microbiome and you know, the what's inside of our bodies and the different um, bugs and, and microbes and stuff that for some people who have things like IBS uh, actually taking poop from a healthy person and putting it into a person that needs some of that that flora inside of them that actually can can help and it seems like well that's sort of like old school all you're doing is moving poop uh, but but modern science actually will attest that in some cases that's a really it's an advanced um, it's an advanced methodology that works. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I uh, didn't know that. I could have lived without it, but thank you very much. Sorry. 
<laughs> no, but hey, I, I went I was on, listening live at lunchtime. There you I, go. Sorry. <laughs> I went on the leech, but uh, I, I'm kind of like, I, I read this book about the, the history, I mean, the biography of Leonardo da Vinci. And I mean, they didn't know at the time he, he, he was, you know, doing a uh, cadavers study and, you know, imagine how the, 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 the blood was circulating in the body. I mean, we, we didn't know. You couldn't scan things. I mean, look at the x-ray like they, it used to be. So while well, we thought it was a cure at the time, uh, maybe it is still a cure, but maybe there is a better way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Well, you want to know? You wanna, let's finish it on a different note. You want to know why, why I went in with insert coins as a nickname? Yeah, no. we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I say I say no. I say no. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say it anyway. I know you are. This is the the day in history. It's a, that's very very quick. October 10th, 1980. There was a there was a video game that starts showing up in the arcade uh, here in the U.S. Uh, can you guess which one was? Everybody, get a try. Pac-Man. Sean? Uh, boy. 1980. Uh, 1980. Pong? Uh, maybe. Not yeah. asteroids. I don't know what okay. it is. I'm probably going to go with Diana with Pac-Man. I'm just trying to picture that screen. And you would have said the right thing. It was Pac-Man. Well done, Diana. Pac-Man Fever Begins, October 10, 1980. But it actually was created in Japan earlier than that in May and released, but it was called Pookman. Yeah. <laughs> they, they changed the name because it didn't sound so good, you know. And I think in Japan they would pronounce it in a different way with an F there anyway. But anyway, this, this game became the most popular. And what is interesting, it was the first game, video games, that was targeted to women because all their arcade games done until that day were all like about wars and space and at the time when you thought about space and asteroids we're talking about kids male right and as wrong as it was but that's what people thought at the time well pac-man was something that had success with uh with really every everyone and they they did it in that way i guess that's why there are little pink an orange little ghost and to to attract everyone and uh oh yeah and it's coming up halloween so hey there are ghosts in there <laughs> you see yeah. I, I connected everything pac-man i just played pac-man like about two weeks ago oh. and, and this little arcade game thing uh it still stresses me though holy heck out <laughs> yeah yeah. Think game, I could I couldn't even like I couldn't wait to get it out of my hands. I was like, get this game out of here. I can't even handle it. Um, but I don't know. It's one of the things that adds a lot of tension in my life. I, I'm with you, Lynn. I don't think I ever got past like level two on on Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, any of these <laughs> speed eye-hand coordination things. I just uh Nope. And it makes me stressed out too. It's not just that I'm bad at it. I also get like super anxious about the fact that I'm bad at it. <laughs> but you, you know how they got you with this? I mean, I, I've, I wasn't very good at these kind of games because they're too fast and I can't really memorize the, the different levels. Yeah. 
I'm more on the. I was going to ask. I mean, is there one one way to win? And Diana, I presume I presume you found a path that worked for you for level one, and you did that over and over and over to get to level two. Or did you you try to do different paths to get? I think it was just totally random that I got past level one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I couldn't get past level two. I can tell you that at least the starting the starting path I would always take. Okay. I'm not going to. Right. I'm saying <laughs> But I'm with you. When this high speed type of game, even like Tetris, it's cute and it's fun. But the moment it's got, it starts like speeding up, I just, I, I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. And well, there's people cool. that will spend, you know, they'll go like level a million <laughs> without <laughs> even thinking about it. I'm more like very slow thinking. Let's play Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. That's it. Yeah, give me a good strategy game. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> like, dig in. I'm like that. Like lean. You're right. I mean, it just stresses you out. I'm like that. Plus the lights, the noise, and the. the but I was trying yeah. to look at the numbers they made. I think. Hey, you know, a little fun fact about Dungeons and Dragons is Ooh. that we were just up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and doing a ghost tour of all things, nice. of course. Everywhere I nice. go, I try to take a little ghost tour of some sort. But I learned that Wisconsin, in this area, Lake Geneva, that there's a lot of insane asylums, like back in the day, like in the late 1800s. And um, that's really you know, a lot of doctors went there because they were studying people that, you know, were being institutionalized and they had lots of different asylums there. And as the city evolved and advanced and as those asylums like shut down, they were vacant. And the creator of Dungeons and Dragons actually used to explore those um, vacant Asylums, uh, uh, and they would like they would like hit them and all the teenagers. They would like run and muck them through them, and they would like set up like war games in them, and you know, just like teenagers back in the day used to. You know, I'm sure they still do. Anyways, <laughs> for Dungeons and Dragons, that's where the founder came up with the idea, or the creator came up with the idea. It was based on his childhood experiences of just exploring and these this vacant properties that were all around Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. So now you know that fun fact. When you come to the Midwest, you'll be able to check it out yourself. Wow. Mm, love it. Wow. Yeah, Perfect. that is very cool. And very Halloween as well. Yeah, that's right. It is. And I think with that, we can kind of wrap it. And for once, we're not going to go wrap over the like one a mummy. Wrap it like a mummy. Wrap it like, <laughs> wrap a, mummy. It like a mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I like to see Lena Post a picture of what it looks at night. I gotta oh, see. I will. Yeah, I will. Tonight, I will. <laughs> I want to yeah. see that. I want to see that. When I simply put it on my front porch with no more shenanigans, game's over after tonight. <laughs> That's right. It's out of the pantry. Yeah. yeah, don't don't hide it and to scare your kids anymore. Just yeah, scare, scare the old neighborhood. Just scale it up. <laughs> That's right. Last year, we had a, a lady, a, a UPS, and she was like on the front porch. And I was in my office, and I see her walking up, walking back, walking up, walking back. <laughs> and ooh, I couldn't believe it. I walked out there. I'm like, could I help you? She's like, I am so scared. I can't do this. And I'm like, oh, wow. but it was the uh, it was the mummy and everything else was really fun. <laughs> I actually <laughs> love that you said that because I go walk my dogs lately since when the the month started. 
I kind of go when the sun started to go down because I want to check out the, you know, what the house are doing with the Halloween decorations. So I want to see the lights and everything. And I thought just that, like, you know, like now you have those kind of animatronic that moves and scare people and start like talking and doing some weird noises, witches and, and mummies. And I'm thinking like, I was thinking like, can you imagine the UPS, the Amazon people, the the USPS <laughs> that they have to go through like all the porches and, and go in the homes and they're like all surrounded by little, little scary cemetery and, and witches and um, yeah. And I love that you said that. Because I, I was yeah. just thinking yeah. about that one, love it. Oh, and on that tone, I think when we when we publish this as a podcast, I, I'll add some Halloween noise to it, so I'll make it <laughs> I'll make it more scary. Spice it up. I will. I put the ghost on the other episode. If you haven't heard that episode eighteen, when uh, we Chloe Mistagi, we talk about. She said she's a ghost. I, I did a special effect there, so. If you haven't heard that, people, go for it. And if you enjoy this, tell your friends. Um, join us next uh, Thursday at uh, noon o'clock Pacific Standard Time for the live recording. And then, of course, we put it on the on the podcast. And uh, Sean, anything to add to this? Boo. Boo. <laughs> We're getting close to Halloween. Now, it's yeah. thrill, thrilling to... Uh... Thrilled to have Lynn on. Lynn, thanks for being being a guest today and uh, sharing a little bit about Oasis and uh, all the great stuff that you're doing to to uh, help the cybersecurity community stay connected and even more so with the new uh, new in innovations and developments you made. So, thanks for being part of this one today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate. It. I always love our time able to catch up with us with <laughs> each other. So. So this is great. And it's, you know, yeah, and we'll keep in touch, you know, definitely on Twitter. We're all out there and I'll be listening to through the tech line on and on. So just don't scare us too much on Twitter. We'll follow the, uh, the story of the mummy. <laughs> should have its own Twitter account at this point. Fantastic. Well, same time next week, everybody. All right. Uh, Sean, keep on the music. Yep. Peace. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Through the Tech Vine podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Thank you.